welcome to the podcast of Wednesday's Child. You're here with your hosts, Sarah Ledger and Debbie Watson. We're back, duo, partners in crime, to talk about all things eating disorders. I know it's been a bit of a while. We've had various guests on the show, but I know we always get amazing feedback when Sarah and I sit and chew your ear off about eating disorders for half an hour. So we're back. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? Hi, Debbie. Yeah, I'm not bad, thank you. I'm just like you, sat here on a Sunday morning, just ready to chew the fat, really. Which is perfect, isn't it, for what is quite a chilly Sunday morning. It must be even colder up north where you are, is it not? Yeah, it's cold. And I'm, um, I foolishly said I might take the dogs to the beach this morning. Oh, my goodness. So, um, yeah, so I might need to get four hats. Well, that whole, you know, that whole set you bought me for Christmas, my hat, my scarf, my gloves. Oh. I might have to get all, all three of those out this morning. Oh, bless you. And do you know what? You're going to have to share on your social feeds the beautiful picture of Meg that, from your latest dog walk with the flipping <laughs> great branch. With the big, yeah, it was a uh, half a tree. Sarah, has, uh, Sarah, I've recently been to visit Sarah and gone on a dog walk with her somewhat Larry little dog. Um, Meg, who likes to pick up what we would might term as a stick if it wasn't for the fact that it looks more like a five foot branch off an oak tree. <laughs> She's tiny. Oh, she is a nutcase. She keeps me on my toes, though, which is what you need, yeah. don't you? <laughs> so amazing. Well, right on cue there, talking about keeping people on their toes. I'm going to talk today about the theme of keeping you on your toes with moving on, moving forward, stopping procrastinating, being focused on recovery. And I think This is somewhat important in a conversation coming off the back of Eating Disorders Awareness Week. And I know sometimes you and I have done lives during the week itself or issued a podcast just ahead of it. We decided not to do that this year. We did a fair bit of conversation over social media and had some events that people could participate in. But this time we're doing a podcast episode just out of the back of Eating Disorders Awareness. And I think what for me feels really important is that we come out of a week of seven days of awareness thinking okay so I may have learned something I may have listened to some stories and case studies some narrative during that period I may have heard the latest statistics I may have heard lots more news coverage during those seven days about the eating disorder world than I might normally do what do I do with that information how do I take that forward in my own life and how do I make sure that Anything perhaps negative or triggering that I've heard in that period doesn't hold me back or keep me stuck, but instead says this time next year in Eating Disorder Awareness Week of 2024, I absolutely do not desire to be in that place. So I think if in the aftermath of Eating Disorder Awareness Week, if we could use this episode to talk about from our lived experience, what are the things that we began to find as the catalysts for change. What did we need to do? Who did we need to surround ourselves with? What did we need to have conversations about? How did we take ourselves forward? I I don't know about you, Sarah, but I feel that's a really important place to be after seven days of talking about what can sometimes feel like hard listening around the theme. I think you've hit on the first big thing there is that sense of who you now talk to or who you talk with um I think eating disorder week is a really important week and it's important that we raise raise awareness but it also can act as that kind of like hyper focused scenario where you can surround yourself with everything that you can possibly read and do and just participate in but 
dis from a distance participate in when I'm saying that. You know, we've all been there where we've read every single book in the world, but still aren't engaging in any behaviors in order to change yeah. our eating disorder behaviors. So I think a really positive step after this week, now we've listened and we've learned, is to now do the opposite to listen and start to talk. So and and often when I speak to folks, and I know you said this quite often, Debbie, which is why you create the groups that you create with Wednesday's Child, is that folks are often assume that that person you talk to has to be a therapist. Mm. And it's like, I'll start once I've got a therapist. I just need a therapist to help me unlock this. You actually just need to start talking about it. Um, and that's not just like standing in the middle of the street and shouting, you know, I've okay, got me. Hey, but unless that'll help, you know, I mean, <laughs> we all know that I used to do some crazy things with shouting things out loud. So, yeah. I, I think oh, my God. Person... If in the next week I see loads of people strolling up and down Oxford Street wearing like those A-frame boards saying, please talk to me about my eating disorder. <laughs> no, I don't think hey, that's a good them. thing. No, but um, but no, just sit this morning or whenever you listen to this, the afternoon, nighttime, and just think who... Just pick two, two folks, three folks that you could engage in a conversation with, but it's going to be a productive conversation. It's not going to be a wallowing conversation. Yeah. So, and that absolutely could be anything. It could be a friend who you've never talked about your eating disorder to and you don't really want to, but they're someone who is really arty and really creative. And you're just thinking, Do you know what, I, I think it could be really helpful for me to sit with you once a week and spend an hour with a paintbrush in my hand and I, I, if you don't mind I'd love to come and do that with you or someone that you know has a dog and you don't have a dog and they go on a dog walk and you say I'd like to come on a walk and just not be so isolated in my home it's just really small things of bringing tools and people into our lives that start to trigger the change and I know that can sometimes be a bit bit scary for many many reasons but one of the reasons I know that some people do find it scary is because the person you're speaking to will immediately try to they'll try and solve it yes. because that's kind of what human beings do don't we we go into solve mode whereas you know it's, it, it's very rare that people around us that that we have people around us who are truly empathic in terms of like really know how to deal with that kind of conversation. I used to talk to my old dog and I know like that sounds really stupid, but we would sit on an evening and I would just talk everything. Oh, Sarah, has gone through your volume? Oh, oh, sorry. Did I go a bit wobbly? Oh, you went slightly silent, but go on, go back to your conversation about your dog. (laughs) Yeah. I used to talk to my old dog, you know, I used to sit on an evening, just the two of us and I'd get out all of the, anxieties and stresses and strains of the day and he was never going to judge me and he was never going to try and give me a solution but it it was just kind of having him sat next to me me talking at Lenny it was out it was out in the open it wasn't trapped in my head and therefore if it wasn't trapped in my head it meant that the eating disorder voice couldn't manipulate it into something that it wanted it was out it was finished with the day was over and then I could go to bed and then the next day as soon as my feet landed on the floor, it was back into recovery mode. And that's why for some people journaling works, isn't it? If you yeah. don't have that person to talk to, actually kind of to articulate it to it in the verbal sense, either because there is a, a person, a being, an animal, whatever it might be there. For some people, just picking up a pen and creatively expressing. And and like, you know, I just mentioned art, didn't I? For some people, journaling, the thought of words just might not work for them. But painting a picture or sketching something in a little notepad I mean I don't know I'd love to hear from anybody who's not so much a words person but do you have a notebook that 
every day you can sketch a picture or something doodle that kind of expresses the emotions of the day and helps you move forward. And you've picked up on another really good thing there is picking the thing that works for you. Yeah. Because like you hear and we hear quite often of folks being told that this therapeutic path or this activity is going to be what's good for them and that's going to be the thing that's going to get them out of their their current fog um I remember I went to a handful of art therapy classes oh my word Debbie I hate it (laughs) it was just off like awful but in that room were people that had been there frequently and it was really was their one time of the week that they just adored and it was their time of the week that they just got whatever it was they got out and it, it, it manifested itself on the paper. Um, I just don't have that kind of creative bone in my body, so it caused me more hassle. But I don't know whether it's because I was older or what, but I then had the ability in my head to go up to the art therapist and just say, this isn't for me. Can I try something different? And, and I, think, I, that's and I think that is absolutely true, isn't it? It is in the same way that I, you know, I often get asked, like, can you recommend, you know, this kind of therapy or tell me which one works for you? I'm always a little bit nervous about that because we are all so individual. You know, we come at our eating disorder experience at a different age and stage. You and I, you know, I was university age. You were an adult wife and mother. That's completely different. By that point, you've learned different skills. You've got different priorities. You've got different time available to you. So the things I needed at my age to what you need now are extremely different. And I think we just all have to be careful of following what is right for us as the individual in recovery, rather than overly getting overly convinced that it must be the same path that somebody else has followed. Because if we're not careful, then that can expose us to that fear of failure. And and, well, there we go then. I'll never get well because, oh, well, if, so-and-so says the only thing that got them better was art therapy and I know I can't do art therapy well that says I'm you know going to live a life of anorexia but you know I mean I funny enough I I noticed the pictures you shared um yesterday on your feed and and you were doing some things in the garden I mean it it could be like that couldn't it somebody who is there's no way they're going to express themselves through words on a page or through picking up a paintbrush but actually if you got them involved in an outdoor kind of um, pursuit of some kind and I know we've got um, voluntary sector organizations and charities around here that are all about greener space initiatives and they are about kind of gardening or building or you know woodland based activities and for a lot of people that kind of thing would be massively more useful than trying to push yourself into that like little square hole that's just never going to fit for you. And there's something to be said, isn't there, about that distraction as well, I think. You know, it's, it is a very stressful environment being in therapy. Um, and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of, we know there's a lot of competition in the eating disorder. And, and therefore, sometimes you can sit in group ther- therapy in particular. And, and as you're getting weller, be thinking, you know, you're fibbing. So there's people in this room that are fibbing because I've seen you do this and I've yeah. seen you do that. And and that can be really, really challenging. But again, it's having the strength to kind of admit when things are challenging, but then also have the strength with yourself to admit when things are working, because that's, again, that's a trap because we've all shouted at the nurse who actually is the one that's really touched a nerve with the eating disorder voice. So that's the nurse or the care worker or the nutritionist or the therapist or whatever that's actually 
making your eating disorder shit themselves. So they're actually helping you get better. But the eating disorder is so strong that it starts to shout at the person, doesn't it? And yeah. it's being it's being curious about what those reactions are and making sure that you actually, the pe- person that might be feeling like they're being a little bit too strong with you is often the one that is exactly the thing that you need. The one you need. It is, yeah, absolutely. And that, uh, you know, I, I don't know what that's making you think of, but it's certainly chimes where we've shared some conversations where we've had people say that, oh, perhaps this therapist isn't right for them. And is that really true? Or is it because that therapist has hit a nerve or started to open up things that they weren't ready to deal with or challenge some of that? thinking and everything that we try and overcome in life takes hard work doesn't it and takes some difficult conversations and some of the hardest conversations we have with our loved ones are when we're having to be brutally truthful to ourselves you know we all want to if if you've got a kind of good cop bad cop relationship in in kind of say like parents it's it's always very easy to lean towards that one parent that feels thoroughly compassionate and empathetic and never challenges you over the fact that you're reaching for another Diet Coke in the fridge because the other parent is the one being more bullish, but actually yeah. is the other one demanding that you try and challenge your behaviours. And you have to kind of question, does that make that person wrong? Or is that about you needing to face where you are? And it's And that with that is coupled with if you find that person or those people, it's then at some stage in in your recovery, you're probably going to have to hand your recovery over to them. And that is fine. At some point in your recovery, you do need to take ownership of it and start doing the doing independently, especially when you're an adult, because that's the adult world. But you you literally can say, you know, mom, dad, husband, auntie, whatever. I'm. You can see I'm not doing this very well by myself what can you do to sort to help me out what what actual practical things can you do so like whether it's <clears throat> you then commit that <clears throat> sorry so whether you then commit that every thursday at six o'clock you're going to go to auntie margaret's and she's going to make you tea you know whether it's that every sunday morning you're going to go and see your best friend and you're going to have brunch together, you know, because that's going to stop you putting your trainers on. And it's about then yeah. shifting that commitment to the person rather than the activity, because we're a lot less likely to let someone else down than we are to let an action or an activity down, I always think. Yeah. You know, if, if you wanted to be really practical okay. about it, there's something to be said for a little exercise, which anybody could do is, is effectively creating yourself a kind of tribe table and you know, I'm not a massive lover of spreadsheets, but it just like you say, kind of how can each person that you know in any way contribute to one little kind of, you know, step along the ladder of recovery there in that table? Is it Auntie Margaret that, you know, twice a week you're going to go and have a meal with them? Is it your friend Meg who's best placed to take you on a supermarket shopping trip because she can deal with that and then she'll take you for a coffee and talk about her latest boyfriend disaster? And is it, you know, that art therapist that you really think you want to pick up? Have a look at who is it you're going to reach out to? What kind of solutions and support can they provide you with? And if you're by yourself, which I know many folks are, they're not fortunate enough to be like me and have family around them, then that's the best place for them to be looking for befriending. But especially looking for befriending when you're at a stage where you know you're ready to have those productive, proactive conversations. Um, 
so that then it is about every time you chat with your befriender, it, it's then about what was what's what's been the greatest achievement this week and where your mind's at and and what have you rather than you know befriending is there to support each other it's not it's not it's not therapy yeah is there anything that you look back on now so if we go back to points where you were maybe on the cusp of thinking you know what I really just like we just talked about there you know you maybe you've just seen eating disorders week I don't know if you were very cognizant of it at the time that you were poorly but kind of you've witnessed it come and go you've heard a lot of conversation about it and you were kind of is this my time shall I push forward for recovery can you think of some of the key things that happen to help you just shove on and and make it make it start to come together I'm not saying that it made it easy and that it all happened overnight but but can you think of any of those things that were pertinent I think for me it was like a couple of really key decisions on behavior shifts to get going you know I've spoken before that I'm not a great planner but so I I just made a really conscious effort to, to have a couple of of key behavior shifts that I wanted to crack straight away and we speak about those as being those hinge behaviors that yeah. if you crack that one behavior actually has a knock-on effect to three four five um so I, I I walked into day service and grabbed hold of my occupational therapist and just said enough's enough and she was like hallelujah <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's go you know um but again I was fortunate enough that I was in a service where I could do that I know that's not, but certainly not the case at the moment um but it was just looking at those a couple of those key ones so I've said it a million times it was ditching my my weigh scales and it was stopping weighing bread and I know that's like mm. the especially the weighing bread on people go really like that's such a tiny little behavior, but that that was so crucial because mm-hmm. I soon realized that like weighing bread is utterly ridiculous. Like utterly ridiculous. And if you're listening to that and you're you think that's me being harsh and that's you, you're now in a mood with me, I actually don't care because weighing bread is utterly it comes in slices in a packet <laughs> for a reason. And it comes in slices in a packet so that you take two slices out and you make a sandwich. You know, it it so it it was for me. It was cracking that one behavior and realizing quite quickly that that was a ridiculous behavior. So then, so weighing lettuce, <clears throat> weighing lettuce therefore was a ridiculous behavior, and weighing grapes. And then we then started going into weighing cornflakes and rice. And then the bigger food started just like kind of knock on from there. It took ages. Don't get me wrong. It yeah. wasn't a quick and easy thing, but finding those key hinge behaviors to start off with for me was a a big big deal. And I think, as you say, you do one and then the next one becomes a little bit easier to overcome. And before you know it, you've changed 10 of those behaviours. And that might be, you know, moving on from your bullshit bowls or your teaspoon cutlery or not taking your Tupperware out when you go or whatever. But it, it collectively, they're the ones that have broken down those habits. I was in my sorry, I'm just chuck sorry for interrupting Debbie. I'm just chuckling. I'm glad to share. I was in I was yesterday, I was in the kitchen and Amy had gone shopping for a friend and a friend had obviously picked off some like diet cakes from the in the supermarket and put them in the kitchen and I went in the kitchen and I shouted at the top of my voice, Who's put bullshit food in my And um Amy I could hear Amy chuckling from upstairs and she came running down and she was like, Oh oops <laughs> but it was just it was so it was just quite funny but that's that thing like you soon the behavior shifts into the completely opposite yeah and it's 
I mean, you, you've sort of apologised there, haven't you, for anybody that you might have offended by talking about, you know, it is bullshit to be wearing your bread. But actually, it, very soon into like full recovery, you look back at those behaviours, so many of those behaviours and think, what's that all about? What what did that achieve? Me? How much happier did that make me feel? And I, I think as much as you and I often talk about, you know, the behaviours and the things that we need to change, I'm one for always... And I wish I'd done more of this because I think it would have helped me keep, I had, um, I had periods where I fell back a lot. And um, so where anything got difficult, I, I slipped again and then had to keep moving forward again and, and slipping back and moving forward, slipping back and moving forward. I, I think that's very, very tiring. And hence, obviously, my eating disorder was, you know, started much younger and then, then therefore became much more protracted. But I think, slipping back moving forward becomes not only exhausting for you as the individual and makes you feel a bigger sense of hopelessness but also it becomes ever more draining for the people that were part of your tribe and supporting you because there is a point at where, where they think oh, come on Debbie we've been there before haven't we and here we go again yeah. Debbie and oh isn't this what we've seen and so what you don't want to be doing is is losing the support and understanding and you know just that kind of rallying cheerleading impact that it has to have those people alongside you however small that is and whether that's just a GP and a therapist or whether it's your mum your sister or your daughter whoever that is but it, I, I think it what really helped me to sort of flip from keep go, flip going backwards and forwards was evaluating and evaluating maybe a bit of a grandiose term but once I had made those changes and I had a day where I didn't do these behaviours or I changed this for a week or I did this instead of this for a week. Journaling or making some reference to my emotions and the impact, the positive impact of having done that for seven days. So knowing that by giving up purging, I then felt physically so much better. I wasn't so confined to the house. You know, my eyes felt brighter. I slept so much better. All those things, when you can then write down the positives it's like everything in life you know where does where's the trade-off with whatever we choose to do that we either enjoy or that we choose as a harm what's the trade-off in that so for me it really was helpful to reflect on where I made these changes that were often really destructive to myself and to relationships when I made that change how did that feel for seven days and don't get me wrong there were times when I just thought that was shit that you know that really yeah, that was my eating disorders voice being really, really noisy. But I did learn to see what the benefits were. I learned that I could sit and watch a film without kind of wanting to just get up and go. I could sleep right the way through for seven hours and not, you know, wake up staring at the ceiling crying. I, I could stop crying. That was that was you know another big thing, and I could recognise the warmth of relationships coming back at me my niece genuinely wanting to come and have a kiss and a cuddle with me because I seemed like a happier auntie, not this brittle, cold woman that arrived in six jumpers and said she wanted to go after 20 minutes. These are the changes I had to do and I had to write them down to reflect upon. And and I, I'm not, I don't like living in the rearview mirror, but I think reflection in the moment, if that makes sense, in the short term, short term reflections are very, very helpful to keep you pushing forward. And it's really important to find those to do that reflection in the moment and then find them again at a later stage. So I was tidying out a cupboard 
the other day and I stumbled across a bright purple and a bike and a black um <clears throat> journal and as soon as I clocked them I was like oh, I know what you are and they were the two things that I used in 2018 and um I had to flick through and it was just fascinating absolutely fascinating and that's where then you know, when you're talking about looking back on things and, and thinking about what you did and, and judging them like I just have done as ridiculous, but judging them as ridiculous, but from a sense of compassion. <clears throat> you know, I don't yeah. judge myself back then. I read those books and I didn't think, oh, you stupid girl, you horrible person. What what did you do? I look back and I was just like, oh, wow, look what you did. Like, look how look how scary and dark life was and look what you did. And there was a real sense of like achievement and and pride and gratitude um, and vulnerability in the sense of, you know, anyone that's on this journey, you know, the definition of vulnerability is you show up to something not knowing what the outcome is going to be, but you keep going anyway. And that's an incredibly strong place to be. And that's exactly what eating disorder recovery is. You show up every single day not having a clue what this outcome is going to be because you've never lived potentially in a eating disorder free life before if you if you became ill very very young but then once you find that outcome and then you look back at those books that you've written in you do you get such an overwhelming sense of pride I had a health review recently and on the on the phone the lady says to me she said she said I hope you're really proud of yourself and I was like oh you know you brush it off don't you because we're British we go oh yeah 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 it's fine but then actually an hour later I was like actually do you know what yeah I should be. And anyone listening to this in recovery, we all should be because this is really tricky. It's really hard. And we yeah. battle it every day and it's fabulous. Yeah. Do you know, so funny that that's exactly what, um, you know, your doctor had said to you because I, I did an interview and um, big plug for BBC Sounds if anybody wants to take a listen. But um, so on BBC Radio Suffolk, which is my local county radio, I had um, a sofa chat with Sarah Lilly on BBC Radio Suffolk. So that would have been... Uh, three o'clock on Friday afternoon and as we were getting towards the end of the interview she said to me you must be really proud of yourself with everything you, you've achieved you know via kind of creating Wednesday's child and, and having a professional life and I think she was sort of reflecting the fact that it would be easy to go through such a severe and enduring illness and to not amount to much or achieve anything but a bit like you when someone says that sentence you must be really proud of yourself it was a kind of sort of almost a paralysis in my voice box I just didn't know how to respond to that because actually yes it makes sense that you should be incredibly proud because bloody hell it's a hell of a thing to overcome but we don't celebrate ourselves for it do we we don't say Jesus Christ I've been up through a you know a hell of a journey there and maybe that's what we should all do even in the even in the recovery period if that means we have now managed to get ourselves a job we have now managed to stop being the person that gets up at three in the morning and go for a walk. We have now managed to form a relationship with someone. We have now managed to start going out to eat with people or cooking for ourselves. These are massive things. And self-celebration and congratulation are, are a vital part of recovery. I couldn't agree more. We work harder at this than we would any degree or professional qualification. Yeah. Um, but be, it's something about because it's for us and it's not for an external purpose we sort of don't give it the 
the celebration and the praise that it's worthy of. Anybody, anybody in recovery that gets up every single day and goes, I'm recovering again today, needs a massive round of applause and a huge cuddle and, and should, you know, should be winning all the gold medals because if you can recover yourself like that, then there's nothing. You can do anything you want after that. You can do yeah. anything you want. So true. Well, I think we've covered a huge amount in this episode and I hope it feels like a perfectly fitting one on the back of, you know, just coming out of the, the last seven days of discussion of Eating Disorders Awareness Week. I just want to end on a bit of a reflection because this kind of sentence really means something to me and just reminds me why it's always important to keep pushing on forward. And I, and I want to pay tribute to one of our therapists in saying this recently and I know it's it's her narrative that's helping so many people and, and Isabel Lemming reminded me of this the other day and she said about always thinking about the person you want to be in every action every thought think about the person you want to be think for every one of you listening to this and for every parent or carer or partner that's helping someone and trying to think what can I say how can I make that conversation helpful today in that person's recovery? I would think about that sentence. Help them or help yourself think about the person you want to be. Because I cannot believe there is a single one of you out there that wants to stay living in what we know to be the complete hell, purgatory, whatever else you want to call it, of being in the paralysis of an eating disorder. So think about in every moment of every day, is it that you want to just be a cheerier, friendlier, happier colleague, friend? Is it that you want to be capable of being a homeowner and being able to go and get a rescue dog from a kennel somewhere in the next 12 months? Is it that you want a loving sexual relationship that you have not yet had in your adult life? What is it that you so want to be that perhaps and potentially your eating disorder is preventing you from being in the now. I think it's a really important thing to consider. And I hope on that note, that takes you something, that gives you something to take away and, and uh, a bit of thinking time for this Sunday. Um, I wish you all well. I wish you continue, continued recovery. Don't forget that as ever, we always really, really welcome your messages and your stories. And every time Sarah and I come to record a podcast, the first thing we're saying is what's in the mailbox? So if you've listened to this and thought, I'd really like them to mention this, talk about this, you don't have to give your name, you don't have to say who you are, but if there's something you'd like us to chat about in the way that we've had our latest 30-minute ramble, then please get in touch. It's hello at wednesdayschild.co.uk. Thank you again, Sarah. Thanks. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. And that's it from the Wednesday's Child podcast. Take care, stay recovery focused, and we'll see you again very, very soon.